Welcome to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Today's podcast is going to be about being middle-aged and am I grown up yet? I don't really know. I think we're all, we, we just keep on growing up our whole lives, don't we? I do mention um, menopause a little bit in the very beginning, but don't, don't uh, hit stop because I'm not going to talk about that the whole time. It's only the first few minutes. So thanks for listening and uh, have a great day. Well, I hope the sound quality won't be too bad because I'm walking around outside, walking my dog. And today I just felt like kind of talking a bit, a little bit about being middle-aged. I know, well, Anchor tells me that most of my followers are men. So you may not know that you know, what it's like to be a middle-aged woman. But I'll tell you, it ain't easy. Some parts of it are great. For example, you know, after a life, uh, you know, when you're around 12 years old, your life changes when you're a girl. And that that new friend that, that comes once a month is, is not a very nice friend to some people. It causes a lot of pain and inconvenience and embarrassment and, you know, hormones are really tough for some people. Women who don't have that problem, they don't realize how lucky they are. So when you hit, you know, when you hit the time when that stops, well, first you go through a, a few years of hell as your hormones jump up and down but when it finally settles down and and the ball stops bouncing you you start to feel better and it's a quite a relief now I'm not fully out of the woods I occasionally I have still have some bad days but mostly I feel so much better than I did say three years ago Uh, You know, I'm a runner, and I had many, many occasions where I was running races on my period. And that is not a good thing when when you're having cramps or you're having to stop and go to the bathroom constantly because, you know, you're having these heavy cycles. So it really, it messed up my running career. But I, I have to say, I, I persevered and I got out there and I did it anyway. And in fact, I, some of my best, <laughs> my best times were, were tough, tough days like that. It's really strange how you might have, you might actually have extra energy even though you feel horrible. But anyway, besides that, you're, my kids are getting older. Not everyone you know, has six kids like I do. So your kids might be grown by the time you're 40. But I still have a son who just turned 16. And I have another one that's 17 and a half. 
And then I have my perpetual child daughter who is uh, 20 years old and will never grow up or leave the house because of her disability. But I have three other sons that are on their own and working and doing well. And, you know, it, it's a great feeling to see your kids as they move out of the extremely difficult teenage years into more smoother, you know, happier times. And they start to find themselves and just like we did, right? I mean, I was a pretty terrible teen. And I must say, I really did not grow up till I got married. And even then, I, I still needed more time. And, you know, that's kind of common for people that have uh, attention deficit disorder to be behind the curve when it comes to maturity and relationship maturity. So even though I've always been a very, you know, relation, relational person, I love people. Um, I got along better with people that were a little younger than me. And that, that's a very common thing. Uh, I'm going to say that ADD affected my life way more than I knew because, you know, back in back when I was a kid, it, it wasn't that well known. And I may, I'm, I've never really put this out there, but I may even actually have a little autism, uh, what they call Asperger's or being on the spectrum. There's different terms and I'm not going to get into a fight with people who get upset about which words you use because then I will get pissed off because I will call myself whatever I want to call myself. So you can call yourself what you want to call yourself and it is not a political issue. Thank you. But anyway, um, having a little bit of that um, autism or whatever, whatever's going on with me, it, it seems to be genetic so I can see it in various relatives in my family and I can see it in a couple of my kids. It's not, it's not the kind of autism where you need a lot of like help, like a lot of therapy and stuff. I think some counseling would be a good idea, but it's not the kind where, you know, kids don't talk or they get aggressive or, you know, those are the severe cases. It's not Rain Man. I mean, obviously, if you've listened to any of my podcast, I'm, you know, able to communicate. And, uh, but it does cause some difficulties in that I don't always um, understand the other people as well as I think they do. I think I do. And sometimes they... Um, they, they may not understand that I don't understand them. So it can cause, you know, like a gap in the, in the relationship or in the moment. If someone's trying to talk to me and I am just not really on the same page that they're on and I'm thinking that I am. <sighs> but it took me years, years to realize, you know, as autism and Asperger's became more of a 
popular topic and more research came out, you know, it's, it's on, you can read about it online and, and I noticed that I had a lot of those traits, but I don't normally dwell on that. Uh, I'm just saying that it did affect me as a teenager because as I was trying to find myself and, you know, grow up and find my place in the world, I struggled more, I think, than some kids um, because one, I was immature, but and two, I just had this social uh, lack, social skills lack that just kind of, you know, made it harder for me to figure out things that other people just didn't even need to figure out. They just understood immediately, like how to make friends or you know, how to be a good friend and how to not be taken advantage of by opportunistic people. And um, I can't remember if I wrote a blog about narcissism, but for a long time, I thought, I wondered, am I a narcissist? And then I realized, no, I'm not a narcissist. I am the target of narcissists. And what happens is when you're around a lot of narcissists, you can start to pick up some of their traits. So actually I used to be a lot nicer person than I, and you know, and kind of went downhill over the time because I was hanging out with bad people, not bad, but people who were basically abusing me emotionally, but I didn't realize it. And they were taking advantage of me in multiple ways, financially and just monopolizing my life. And there came a point where I started to realize that this was not, this was not, I thought I was being a good person by, by doing these things, um, by, by being, a, being friends with people like that, because what they do is they prey on people who, who have bad social skills and who want to be liked and who are kind of desperate for friends. And um, that was me. I was pretty desperate for friends. Even though I was kind of an introvert and I didn't need a lot of friends, I still needed at least one friend. And somehow I, you know, I tended to get... I had some good friends. So if you're listening to this and you were my friend in the past, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but I did, I did have several friends who really um, zeroed in on me as someone that they could easily manipulate. And just, you know, I was kind of their, uh, their counselor, basically, which that is one of my, one of my gifts is I'm good at helping people through like counseling type conversations. And I'm not saying that, you know, to brag, I've had people tell me that, that, wow, you're really good at that. And, you know, thank you so much for helping me or whatever. So that's why I went to college to be a psychologist. I actually went, started off at the University of Texas as a business student. And sometimes I greatly regret the fact that I did not stay in the business school, but I switched over to liberal arts and made psychology my major 
because I love people and I wanted to know more about people. And let's face it, I wanted to know more about myself. So I studied, I said child psychology, abnormal psychology, um, developmental, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I did learn a little bit, but really the counseling that I've done for friends and just even strangers on the internet, uh, it's been more just like something that I was born with. And my dad was like that too. He was, you know, he was a good like counselor type person. But anyway, it took me quite a few years to, uh, well, I finally got married. I survived college, barely. And that was a really rough period of my life, but I grew, I learned, I came out with a degree and a whole lot of uh, student loan debt that I still owe. Uh, but the good news is I never lost my faith and I, I was saved when I was nine years old. My, my family are all Christians and we went to church. My parents were faithful churchgoers from, even though they got married very young in their teens, they always went to church. They took the kid, took us kids to church. And, um, you know, so I grew up with, with that lifestyle of going to church regularly and I got baptized and you know God was always in my heart and in my mind but this may sound crazy but I feel like it is really just like last year that suddenly that well I don't know if it was suddenly or if it was just like a new stage of growth, of Christian growth happened um, to me spiritually. And like I said, a lot of stuff happens when you go through menopause. And I, and I can't help but think that my spiritual growth was related to finally being shed of the horrible hormone stage that I was in. Now that said, I don't think it was purely, purely like chemical or something, but it's like I was able to process and deal and trust God in a new way that maybe previously I wasn't able to for some reason. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just guessing here. I'm thankful for it because I feel so much better uh, about basically I understand now <clears throat> I understand Jesus way better now like and God and part of that has just you know been Bible study but I've been studying the Bible my entire life when I was a little girl I used to get Bible study lessons in the mail from, in the mail from the local Christian radio station which was uh, KHCB 105.7 in Houston that I still listen to. And it was this program called We Kids. And that guy is still on there. 
he is still doing that stuff, unless it's recorded, I don't know. But, you know, God bless him. That man is making a difference in the lives of children. But so, yeah, I studied the Bible my entire life because I'm a reader and, I, and I'm a studier. That's, that's just who I am. And, and yet, for some reason, I was holding God at arm's length. And, and I really think it was a trust issue, and I kind of talked about that in one of my other blo- uh, blogs and podcasts, that, you know, I think I was, like, holding on to my own self-sufficiency and only trusting God to a certain degree. And I think that was because of, you know, my past experiences of being hurt by various people, male and female, friends and family, strangers and you know, people I know, my emotional, you know, vulnerability was such that I had to, you know, build some pretty sturdy walls of protection around my heart. And I was even keeping God out. I was, you know, trusting him with some things, but some stuff I really thought, well, I didn't really think about it. I, like I said, I didn't realize I was doing it. Until I had a little, a small relationship crisis, not small, it was a big one. And in that moment, I knew that it was a turning point that I had to choose, am I going to go with my feelings in this and take matters into my own hands? Or am I going to give it to God and just pray about it and trust that no matter what happens, he is in control, he loves me, and he wants the best for me, and he is able to carry me no matter how things go. He's able, he's, he's still going to be there for me, even if my life situation, you know, in that, in that little crisis, if, if something had gone a different way, God would have been there with me, he would have got me through it. And it was then and some other crises in the past couple of years that have really forced me into that position of trusting God. And, you know, I don't want to give too many details because I don't want to expose other people's privacy. But we all have those type of crises and and that's just part of being human and living with and loving and being part of a family and being having friends and everything else we're going to have times when people hurt us and and we're going to need to turn to God because otherwise our faith is going to suffer like if we don't trust God in that moment it's like a crossroads if we turn the wrong way then there's going to be consequences, even though we're Christians, like Tony Evans says, you know, we don't, we can choose to sin, but we don't get to choose what the consequences are. And not trusting God is a sin because we're setting ourselves, we're putting ourselves in God's place. And if I, if I had let my emotions my pain, my emotional pain, my 
anger and that kind of stuff, if I had let that control me, then I would have been making that my God. So it's, it's, it's hard, you know, because when you're in that situation, when someone betrays you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's the final straw, maybe it's the first time, whatever. But when you just, when you're so hurt, you just don't, uh, you have to decide, okay, am I going to give this to God or not? Because obviously, you know, when we try to handle it on our own without, and get, we step outside of God's will. And then we step out from underneath his protection. Another thing Tony Evans said about that, he, a different, maybe the same sermon, I'm not sure, but he was talking about when we're, when we're un, under Jesus's covenant, it's like we're under the umbrella. Well, when we're out of God's will, we're still, uh, we're still covered by, by our, we're still justified we're still saved. We still have salvation. But we, if we sin and we don't stop sinning, then God is going to let consequences happen to us. He, we're not going to be protected because we are sinning. So anyway, I, I guess I rambled on about that for a while, but... Anyway, um, now, you know, well, let me, let me step back a little bit. I had, I got married kind of late. I think I was 26. Yeah, 26. Matter of fact, my 30th anniversary is this coming weekend. Um, maybe it's Monday. Anyway, we're, we're, we're going to celebrate my 30th. Did I say 30th? But anyway... Got married, had had a child very quickly, and I was still pretty immature and controlling. And you know, I come out of a of an atmosphere of feminism, and um, even though yeah, I was a Christian, I had bought into you know the late. Well, the, you know, 70s and 80s feminist movement had affected everyone. And, you know, I was, plus I'm just a kind of a strong person anyway. And I, and I wanted my way, you know, I'm, I was spoiled. I was very spoiled. My parents lost the child before me. She was, she died at only six months old. And when I was born, they spoiled the heck out of me. And, you know, I look a lot like my dad and they just love me and they, they, they let me get away with a lot. They didn't correct me. They probably knew that I was a little bit off. (laughs) So maybe they tried to correct me and I just didn't get corrected, but they love me anyway. And so I kind of was a little spoiled. So when I got married, my husband was also a little spoiled because he was a baby of six and so we had some years there where we butted heads as we 
had to learn how to how to be married and I think that's totally normal in many marriages especially today I can't even imagine today so many people getting married in their mid to late 30s or even 40s to me that would be so difficult I would have been so set in my ways by that age so I wish all those people the best of luck in their marriages (laughs) but all I can say is you cannot have two leaders somebody is going to be dominant in the marriage and it's supposed to be the man according to God's word the man is the head of the house now does that doesn't mean that he has to do certain chores or that women are not allowed to work although you know I'm happy that I did not have to work uh, but it does mean that as far as God's concerned man is responsible for the family he is he's supposed to protect his wife spiritually and treat her well just like Jesus said to cherish cherish your wife like like the church like like Jesus loves the church and the wife was created to be the helpmeet just like God made Eve to be the helpmeet for Adam now how each individual couple works that out it it may not look it's not going to look the same but if you don't get that authority structure correct then when there's a crisis no one it's it's going to be okay who's who's in charge well unless the the wife has you know some secret knowledge that the man doesn't have which shouldn't be the case i mean sometimes someone has to make a decision and it's supposed to be the man and when that if the wife disagrees with that decision as long as the husband is not sinning she is supposed to submit to him i know that's not going to be popular but i'm 56 years old and that's how i read the bible and that's how a whole lot of people read the bible so if you're young and you don't read it that way then you might have been taught wrong because liberal churches don't teach the truth. So beware. Read the Bible yourself. If you haven't read the Bible, then you cannot know what it says. And if you read it and you see those words in there, then you must know that those are God's words. Those are not man's words. God gave those words to us. Yes, he used human beings to write them down those are words from God he has a he has a plan he has a structure of authority he has a purpose for why he made us it's all in there you don't have to guess or make up your own religion it's all in the Bible so eventually back to the marriage thing you know you know I'm not saying we have a perfect marriage because everyone has their bad days or whatever but um, you know I think we we went through our ups and downs and yet we we tried to make it you know tried to be fair 
And I think that's so important. I just want to give a little bit of advice right now for, for young people that are considering getting married. Is You need to be more concerned about the character of the person you're considering marrying than anything else. If they are, if they lie, if they're dishonest with other people, if they treat other people badly but treat you good, eventually you're going to be treated bad too. You're going to be lied to too. If they're stingy, if they're uh, have no compassion, you know, that's why the Bible says to marry someone that's a Christian because Christians know how they're supposed to love other people. And that that's not just other people out in the world. That's that's other people in their 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 husband, their their wife, their children, their their parents, their siblings. So be careful who you marry. Because I don't care if they're rich or if they look like a model or if they have, you know, a million followers on Instagram. When you and that person have a, have a crisis, the character is what is going to come shining through. And are they going to stick with you if, you if you have a child with special needs? Are they going to stick with you? Are they going to stick with you when they lose their job and fall into a depression? Are they going to stick with you when they have health problems and, and you know, just feel like a burden? Are they going to, you know, the world is a fallen world and all this stuff is going to happen to you when you're married. It's not going to be easy. So... Marry someone who has demonstrated to you faithfulness, honesty, compassion, thoughtfulness, you know, uh, patience, kindness. Those things, those things will get you through, you know, I mean, there have been times when I have been like super selfish as a um, kind of a defense mechanism because, you know, sometimes we think that if we don't get our own way, that that means that the other person doesn't love us. But I have often found that my way was not the best way and that, you know, now, now I try to be more willing to listen to you know, other people's ideas, and sometimes you find out, oh, their idea is way better, so I don't need to get my way, and, and just trust God with it, just trust God with your, you know, if God wants you to have something, or go, go somewhere, or do something, or, you know, whatever, pray about it, the more, the more, just pray constantly, because prayer will get you through, any situation, it's, not, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to uh, take time or whatever sometimes. And there may be a lot of questions in your mind. There may be, um, 
tears. There may be anguish in your soul. God's there with you. God is there with you. And, you know, here I am at 56, and I still, I still feel a lot of times, you know, just like that, that teenage girl in high school that just felt so unsure of herself and not understanding the world that I live in and not understanding why some people don't like me because I pretty much like everyone and, you know, just had so many questions. And sometimes it was painful. And it sometimes it still is. But you know what? Life is good. Life is good, even, even with all that. And I am so blessed and... You know, I don't know what today, I don't know what the rest of the day brings. Today, today started off with a really weird story and, I mean, a really weird experience. And I thought about putting this story in a separate podcast, but I'll just tell you about it. By the way, my dogs are fighting. I'm trying to walk my dogs in there playing. Uh, so anyway, I was running on my street and I do like an out and back, out and back, excuse me. And so I ran to the end of the street, and I noticed that the horse that lives on that corner was looked really strange. He was standing up, and his head was kind of moving up and down really slowly. And he was kind of like, not really stepping, but kind of like wobbly on his feet. And I was like, what is, what's wrong with him? What's he doing? So I, I noted that, and then I just kept running. And I turned around and ran the other direction. And when I came back, he was laying down. And I was like, oh, my God. Because something had told me the first time I saw him, he looks like he's fixing to die. Well, when I came back, he was dead. Yes, the horse had died. And he was laying down. He was His eyes were open. His mouth was open. And he was not breathing. And I was like, Whoa was not expecting to see that today. So I called my neighbor, she wasn't home, and she, you know, it all got taken care of, you know. It was very sad for the owners of the horse, who was not actually the person who lives there. And, you know, and then, and this was not, this is not a, an actual death, but it kind of felt like a death to me. I had to go n- into town and I came around a corner and I saw like all the trees along the road, along the fence line, had been knocked down by an excavator. At first I just saw the trees and I was like, what happened? Was that from the storm that we had yesterday? But then I realized that they were all knocked down and that there was an excavator there still knocking them down. And this was probably a good, you know, uh, I don't know, quarter mile stretch of a fence. And all the trees are knocked down. And if you know me at all, you know that I love trees. So seeing those trees, I was like, wow, I've been, I've been driving by those trees now for, you know, 17 years and now they're gone. They're just gone you know pulled up by the roots 
And these are not little bushes. These were pretty good sized trees. And, you know, I felt, I felt kind of sad. And then, it, and I was like, man, what's going to happen next today? Cause you know, sometimes bad things happen in threes. But then I thought, no, this, these are not bad things. These are, these things don't really relate to me. They're just unusual things that I just happen to see. Cause I mean, those trees, those trees were, were not planted. They were, they were, they grew there because birds pooped on the fence, on the fence line and, you know, or whatever, like the fence line I'm walking by right now is, is a line of cedar trees and other little trees. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure that nobody planted these trees here. They were just, they just grew there. But I don't think those were cedar trees on that other thing. But anyway, I do love my trees. And that brings me to my last uh, little topic I was going to mention was that when I saw those trees, my heart kind of sank because I was like, uh-oh, does that mean they're getting ready to build something on that, you know, the land? Because it's just empty land. And I was thinking, you know, when we first moved out here, we came from the city. And we, found, we quickly discovered that people in the country don't like it when people from the city move in. And we were like, kind of offended by that. We're like, what's wrong with these people? They're not very friendly, you know? They're not very welcoming. Well, 17 years later, I get it. I totally get it. Because now I'm the one seeing new houses being built on formerly empty pastures and along the highway that I take to get to town when I go to the grocery store, I'm seeing more and more houses being built and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want people putting houses on my pastures. I mean, the name of my, my blog is Blue Skies and Green Pastures for a reason. I love big open green pastures. And I, I just like that open space. I'm, I guess I'm a little claustrophobic and I don't, I don't like to be like caged in by too many buildings or people or anything. So it, it does, you know, <laughs> makes me a little sad, even though I'm sure the people living in those houses, you know, are great people and stuff. It, and I have nothing against them. It's just that I don't like change. I don't like change. I don't like those trees being get cut down. And I don't like new houses being built where there used to not be a house. And it's happening everywhere, like in the little town where I buy my groceries. It's a population, you know, was around 5,000 when we moved here. And I'm, sh I'm sure there's definitely more than that now. It's probably more like 7,000, maybe 6,500, I'm not sure. but. They're built, they've built, you know, a couple, uh, three or four new neighborhoods in the past 17 years. And they're not huge, you know, and they're modest because there's not a lot of money in that town. But uh, the thing is, we're not that far from the big city. So people, people can commute from the town 
to the city for jobs. And it's too expensive to live in the city, so people are moving out here and also to get away from the city. So, you know, it's the natural cycle. It's what happens, but I still don't like it because I don't like change. But I'll get over it, and I will be nice to those people, and I will welcome them because people are more important than pastures, I guess. <laughs> I still do like my pastures. So anyway, that's my little podcast for the day. I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble on as I walk around the woods. And hopefully no one will build, well, I don't think anybody's going to build anything on the property next to us for a while because I know they have a tax, uh, like they don't, it's a wildlife uh, exemption piece of land. So let's hope that it stays that way. And let's hope that the land prices out here just keep going up and up and up so that not too many people buy land out here because it's just too beautiful out here to uh, fill up with a bunch of neighborhoods. But I know that sounds terrible. People need places to live. So God's will be done. Have a great day. And I hope you have blue skies. And if you don't have a green pasture, I hope you can at least have some green grass and green trees. Bye now.